Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Scott Killips. We recorded this last week in my home in Portland, Oregon. Get Up in the Cool is listener-funded. Shout out to Thomas St. Cyr, Get Up in the Cool's newest supporter on Patreon. Thank you, Thomas. Your support means a lot to me. Anyone else who wants to help fund this podcast can sign up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. There's a link in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Scott Killups. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you. What was that tune? That was Get Up in the Cool. (laughs) I thought, how cool would it be to play Get Up in the Cool on Get Up in the Cool? You would think it it would happen more, but yeah, I think it's only been like twice ever. Yeah, I was trying to remember. I've listened to a lot of the shows, not all of them, but I couldn't remember anybody playing it. Yeah. Uh, I, of course, did it uh, with Gabrielle McCray, who I believe is where you learned it from yeah the mccray sister cd which if anybody doesn't have it that is an awesome cd and uh well we're getting yeah <laughs> absolutely canonical i would say yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh my goodness uh that tune makes me really happy i forget because i i listen to it all the time it's nice to know that i still like it yeah yeah <laughs> And it's not, well, just not, that, not that many people play it, you know. I'm trying to think of the folks yeah. that play in jams. You know, I, I know I played it out of Weezer with Benga's mom one time, and um, but you know, it, it's not real commonly played because it's crooked, I guess. I don't know. It's really weird. The second half of the A part, if you want to think about it that way, yeah, is is kind of mean. It's kind of inhospitable. 
Yeah, because it well, just I, sort of clicks. I was thinking of that Weezer jam with Ben. You know, we were sitting there playing all these straight tunes and stuff. And I said, well, we're going to get it. Cool. And he goes, oh, well, if we're going to play that one, then we can play all kinds of crooked tunes. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> just hold it back. the channel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I don't even think about it. It's like uh, at one um, workshop with the Canoe Brothers one time. I think it was Jerry Canoe said, "Crooked Schmooked." I mean, they play so many crooked tunes, they can't remember which ones are crooked. You know? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think that's really. I think there are crooked tunes that feel crooked, and there are crooked tunes that feel just idiomatic. They feel like they're natural, right? Because the melody dictates, right? Uh, their crookedness. Well, that sort of gets back to the thing about, you know, should you play crooked tunes for square dances or not, right? Yeah. Now, obviously not for contra, but um, yeah. but around here, the callers get so used to crooked tunes. And I remember, I can't remember the woman's last name that came out to um, Dare to be Square one time to teach Nancy. One of your listeners will probably fill in. Okay. But she says she calls with the Roan Mountain Hilltoppers all the time. She says, they don't know what tunes are crooked or not. Yeah, yeah. Tunes. yeah. If you can't call them a crooked tune, you can't call a square dance with these guys. <laughs> and it's the same thing around here, you know. The, yeah. the callers get used to uh, playing for calling for crooked tunes. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when I met you. Was it maybe... At my first Portland Old Time Music Gathering? Well, it was at the Portland Old Time Music Gathering. I don't know if it was your first one or not, but you came up to my house because Jane Rothfield was there and you and Jane oh, are buddies. I think that must have been it. I, was like, I think it might have been her second. She might have been staying at my house that time. I know the first year she came out, she stayed with Lisa Ornstein. Yeah. And um, yeah. and she said, oh, you got to meet Cameron. And so you came up. Jane get, brings people together. Yeah. <laughs> and you bring people together. You yeah. uh, have... You host a lot of things. You, yeah, not lately, of course, because well, of COVID. Course. But yeah. pre-COVID, yeah, I, I used to host a lot of uh, um, parties during the gathering. But also for a few years, I was hosting house concerts. So, you know, going to your tall poppies house mm-hmm. concert recently was a good reminder. And I'm yeah. glad that uh, Kirsten is doing that. Um, yeah. It got to be too much for me after five years. But uh, I used to do it sure about it once a month, a you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I, I always want to have people who are old time music facilitators Mm -hmm. on the show, because I want people thinking about facilitating old time happening in their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm weirdly bad at it in my own personal life. I'm good on like, you know, making podcasts and stuff and like, but like when it comes to like the week by week stuff, like it's really hard for me to like even show up to something, much less facilitate something. And I, when I think about you and your role in the Portland Old Time and Pacific Northwest in, in general, I think about how you make safe, fun places for people to show up, and you are one of the most prolific show-uppers that I know. Yeah, well, you know, you have two small kids right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Time is a prerequisite, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, my kids were older by the time you know I started doing that. Um yeah, when, when did you start playing old-time music? Um, well, I learned a little bit in college, uh, uh, but I didn't really start going at it until about 2004 or so. We had uh, started going to those square dances at the Kennedy School that Paul Severia was talking about on your yeah, podcast. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the kids were really into it. They were teenagers at the time. And uh, around that time for Father's Day, they got my old banjo out of the closet from college days. I had a broken tuning peg. I hadn't played it for years. And they went down to Artichoke Music and got it fixed and handed it back to me at Father's Day and said, you got to start playing your banjo again. Yeah, cool. And I said, well, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to make a more serious run at it. Because in college, I just learned a couple basics and not very much were you playing uh old-time music in college yeah yeah i had gotten exposed to a high school friend originally a guy named matt carsonis who's a professional musician down in uh, la these days um and uh i had a so i started listening to a little bit i wasn't really playing but then i had a summer internship uh, where at the end of the internship, they said, do you want me to leave your retirement money in the account or take it with you? I go, what retirement money? What are you talking about? So it was like 400 bucks. So I took it down to the fifth string in Sacramento, which is a, it recently opened. They were a franchise of the one in the Bay Area. And I was going to buy a guitar because that's what I played at the time. And they had these Saga banjo kits. I go, yeah. 
banjo kit. Hmm. You know, so I bought a banjo kit and then was I, it just all the pieces separate? Yeah, yeah, and you the finish the IKEA the, banjo. Uh, oh, you've got to finish it. Well, you stuff. have to put a finish on it. They've done all the, you know, the fretboard and the frets and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. you put the finish on the wood, whatever you wanted, and then put it all together. Yeah. And so I put that together and then took a couple lessons from Andy Alexis. He's still down there somewhere. Um, and uh, he pointed me at the Muller Kohler five frailing the five string banjo book. And after five lessons or so, he said, "That's it. You know, after that, you just gotta spend your time." You know, yeah. uh, sent me on my way, and I learned a ha handful of songs, and and then kind of put it aside. Like I said, I hadn't played for years, and then the kids got this thing out and got it fixed and gave it back to me. So at that point, around two thousand four. Um, I think I bought a Ken Perlman book and said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I started spending an hour a day for a year, you know, just in the bedroom. Learning Ken Perlman tunes. Well, he starts at a pretty easy level, but I knew so little at the time. I didn't know he was in a melodic hammer banjo and okay. stuff, right? And so yeah. I got about a year into it, and the tunes started taking a month to learn, right? And these yeah, yeah. set pieces. <laughs> uh, uh, and then about that time, I went up to American Banjo Camp that he runs. Yeah. It used to be in Fort Flagler. Now it's... Uh, in a different facility, but I can't remember where. Um, and he has all these different teachers, and I sat with Brad Lefwich and, uh, and then decided to switch out from this melodic stuff, and I bought Brad's uh, Round Peak book, and I bought an Enoch uh, five-string fretless banjo, and I spent about yeah. a year just woodshedding on that. Yeah. And so then after about you know two years of that, I was ready to try to get out and jam, right? Uh, and there were no jams happening at the time. There was one of these periods of time where uh, we were sort of between public jams. Um, but eventually, Allegra Ziffer moved to town, and she started her jam, and Kate Dahl moved to town, and she started her jam. So yeah. I started going out to these two jams and, you know, just kind of bootstrapped my way into the scene from there. But you had, like, two years of, like, solo practice before. Yeah, and I wouldn't recommend. I mean, yeah. one of the biggest pieces of advice I give new people who ask me now is, don't wait, just get out there. Yeah. You know, because uh, you'll learn much faster if you're sitting with people. And plus, you'll learn the tunes they're playing and all that kind of thing. Uh, I think for me, it was a combination of just shyness, feeling like I had to be better before I got out there on the one hand. And then also, there weren't jams happening. I mean, sure. the Red and Black is a famous jam. You hear old timers talk about it here. Sammy Lynn cut his teeth on that. You know, the Red and Black is a bookstore, I guess. But um, that wasn't happening by the time I got out. The Red and Black. Yeah, I apparently there, used to be a bookstore where there was a cafe jam. In Maybe. Southeast. It might be is the same thing. I don't Stark? know. Yeah. But they didn't have a jam by the time I was okay. ready to jam. You know, and I went to one of the Washington Old Time Fillers Association jam, but it wasn't really a jam. It was like an open mic, you know, kind yeah. of a deal. Uh, so anyway, it took a while to find a jam and, and gradually, gradually make my way in. But When did you start playing fiddle? Uh, that was a few years later, around 2008 or so. So after I had you know, been jamming for a while, and I even went to the very first session or two of the string band class that um, Maggie and Patrick and Sophie all run, uh, I got invited to join a band, um, uh, uh, Caitlin Dom and Ryan Fitzpatrick and Patrick Presley and Robin Wilcox. They had a, a thing going at the um, County Cork on Fremont. Every Tuesday night, they were playing for dinner and drinks and tips. Yeah. Uh, and their banjo player got tendonitis, so they gave me a shot and asked me if I would sit in. And I'd say, sure. And then the guy just never came back. So I just yeah. sort of ended up being in the band for two years, yeah. uh, which was great. That was a real learning experience for me because uh, I'd never done anything like that before. Um, but around that time... Um, I started picking up fiddle around towards the end of that time, that two-year run, because, you know, you interviewed my son Eric here a couple months ago. Um, you know, he's a really good Irish and old-time fiddler. Uh, we had bought him a better fiddle at one point, and his old fiddle was just gathering dust in the basement. And at the time, Sammy Lynn lived about a mile from me. Uh, and he was running a, a little tune workshop every Monday night. Drop in, pay 10 bucks, learn two tunes in an hour. And all the buddies that I played with uh, on banjo backing up, you know, went to this thing. And I got to thinking that, you know, Sammy lives a mile from my house. He's doing this thing every Monday night. I got to fiddle in the basement. You know, 10 or 15 years from now, I'm going to look back with regret 
Right. If I don't look into this. <laughs> sort of that was the best time to start is yesterday. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. and I, I didn't really have time to learn fiddle. I was working full time. I'm, in, you know, playing banjo every Monday, Tuesday night in this band. So I don't really have time, but I just knew if I didn't take advantage of this, I was going to regret it. So I called up Sammy. I said, hey, Sammy, how much do I need to know before I start coming? He goes, I'll just come. You'll be fine. You know a lot yeah. of these tunes. And I go, Sammy, I'm still a beginner. I don't know. I don't even know how to put a bow on a fiddle. He goes, that's fine. You'll be fine, Scott. Just come. Yeah, great. So I said, all right. So I started coming. And by that time, he had broken the thing into two one-hour segments, one for beginners and one for more advanced people because the people coming back, he didn't want to cycle through all the early tunes. Yeah. Um, so I was in the more beginner session. Uh, which only had a few people in it, but I was a stone cold beginner. I mean, I knew nothing and I sounded so bad. I would just like laugh out loud in this. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe he's let me sit here, you know, but he let me sit there and I soldiered away and gradually learned. And and we spent the whole, um, uh, whole time in cross a, because it was easier as a beginner to learn cross a tunes, right? You know, you, you got the two sets of strings tuned the same way. Yeah. And about a year later, Tom Sauber came through town and did a little workshop. So I went to that, and, and he had us in standard, you know, GDAE. And he goes around the ring of the five or six people, have us each play a little something so he can gauge the level of the class. And he gets to me, I go, I don't know anything in GDAE. I said, all I've ever done is cross A, and he yeah. just started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Pretty old time. Yeah. So after that, I said, I got to learn something in GDAE. So at that point, I branched out. But anyway, yeah. that, that's how I got started on fiddle. Yeah. It's been a slow build from there because you know, I was working full time and I was in, playing banjo mostly. So it took a long time to you know, spend more time on fiddle than on banjo. But mm. nowadays, it's more fiddle than banjo. Yeah, I, I barely ever heard you play banjo. Um, I'm starting to forget how, which is terrible. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm leading this, uh, facilitating, I should say, a jam at the Portland Northwest Hospital on Thursday nights, and there's pretty often five banjos there. They totally don't need more banjos, right. and they do need people who can lead fiddle tunes. So yeah. you know, I'm mostly on fiddle down there. Probably the least uh, fiddle or the least banjo playing I've ever done in my life as an old time musician was when I inherited the the P's and Q's market jam from Hannah uh-huh. Trainum. Right. And uh, I was often the only person who could technically play a fiddle there. Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Well, that's kind of situation I'm in. Yeah. I, you know, I, I still don't feel like a fiddler, even though I'm playing mostly fiddle nowadays because I you know, spent most of my time on banjo. But, you know, for a fiddle tune jam, you need somebody who can lead tunes. Yeah. And, you know, I can remember them and lead them. So, <laughs> you know, it's good enough to facilitate a jam, I guess. Well, facilitate another little jam for us here. Okay. What, what do you want to play next? Uh, I thought I would try Eric Merrill's Hell and Grace. Hell and Grace or Helen Grace? Hell and Grace. Okay. Um, according to the liner notes, it's a play on his grandmother's name, which is Helen Hel- Grace. Oh, very good. <laughs> and this is a tune I learned from my son, Eric. Uh, originally on banjo, but you know, gradually your banjo tunes start falling out of your fiddle mm-hmm. when you're sitting around. Um, and we're in Cross A, I think, on the album. It's he's got it on an album called The Western Star. And Eric Eric Merrill played Irish and old time, which my son Eric plays Irish and old time. Yeah. So he was attracted to it. This one caught his ear, and I think it's in Cross F on the on the album. Oh, cool. In case anybody's going to go dig it up and yeah. try so to follow it, <laughs> we'll be a little higher and tighter. Yeah, but we'll we'll do in cross A. Start it up, yeah. Thank you. 
Tune. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. I have a soft spot for sweet tunes. Yeah. It's it's crooked. <laughs> it is crooked, right? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I never counted it out. <laughs> yeah. If I yeah, I would have to go back and, and count. But I was uh, there's always a moment where I wanna right. like wait, but then it kinda yeah. Uh it's so nice to hear to actually hear your fiddling because normally I hear you fiddling in a large group of people. Right. And I'll get to hear you for a few seconds. And then you're part of the larger <laughs> the larger noise. Right. It's really nice to, to hear you no, one-on-one. You. We don't play in small groups that no, often We should together. do that more often. <laughs> that would be great, yeah. <laughs> but you're busy with two kids, but... You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's lovely to hear your playing. I, as I've been endeavoring to fiddle um, these last eight years <laughs> or however long I've been playing uh, and not really practicing. Um, it's really hard to relax and, and to play softly without it, like, without sacrificing tone. And I love how gentle your tone is without sacrificing um, rhythm. Like, I feel like I know exactly where the beat is, but you're just like, you have a really light touch. And I feel like that's really unique. And I feel like I want to ask you more about how do you do that? Because I'm, I feel like I'm in danger of hurting myself every time I try to use Yeah, I, I probably couldn't have a good answer for you. You know, I've never really taken lessons. I've taken workshops, you know, a lot, but I was always so busy with work. I just Figured I couldn't do enough practice to do justice to regular lessons, so I never took regular lessons. So I'm, I'm a real folk fiddler. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's been a, a ongoing challenge to figure out how to play relax. I mean, I, I figure the the fiddle is an ergonomic nightmare compared to yeah. other instruments. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what what else do you want to play? Um. Do you know uh, Mark Simos is breaking in the string? I thought oh, that one might be fun to play. Interesting. I don't know. I don't think he did that when we were on. And I haven't played that many of his tunes just out in the wild. Most yeah, he had put out a couple here. of good albums. Gosh, 2006, 2008. I can't remember exactly when called um, Big Ears. It was after mm -hmm. Clifftop. Uh, they recorded him and a bunch of friends, including Brendan Doyle and Rusty Neathammer and a few other folks, uh, an album of um, covers and then an album of his original stuff. Yeah. This was one of the originals. And it hadn't caught my ear until uh, my friend Genevieve Thomas played it. And you know how it goes. One of your friends playing a tune, yeah, so yeah. you got to learn how to play with them. So yeah. that's when I picked it up. Uh, breaking in the string. Breaking in the string. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I can't wait to hear. I yeah, think love this too. Yeah. Well, let's see how it goes.
That is talk about inhospitable tunes. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's so funny. Sometimes I'm sitting around with people at festivals, and you know, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's like I, I feel like I'm inflicting these crooked tunes on my friends. But I said all these crooked tunes I play, I learned as a banjo player because all these fiddlers around me inflicted them on me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so now you I turned into one of those fiddlers. Pass on the hazing. Well, yeah. I'm trying to, but they just fall out of your fiddle after a while because yeah. you learned them on banjo first, right? Yeah. That's well. That's a really cool tune. I uh, enjoyed trying to play that. <laughs> um, it's also it's it's lovely to hear your. Uh, I again, I, I I feel like I mostly hear you uh, leading tunes in larger jam contexts where you are being really hospitable, and it's fun to actually play one on one with you and be and you're like, yeah, here's. <laughs> Here's the, here's the really tricky tunes. <laughs> yeah, the, this yeah. is a tune I hardly ever trot out at a jam. You know, if I do, it's, uh, you know, with the, my more advanced jam friends, some of which you know, people like Ken Torque and Lori Prime and yeah. Roger Applegate, you know, they're real tune heads. And so then then you bring everything out, Mark Wardenberg. Yeah. Yeah, oh, well, it's a, it's a treat to hear your... <laughs> uh, to hear this this side of Scott, <laughs> yeah. Not that I've never heard you play a crooked tune before. It's just you know, it's a you know, it's a different vibe at the hostel. There's a lot of people to try to hold together. It's a it's a bit, how long have you been hosting that jam? Not counting the pandemic. I think we started in 2018, but it was mostly off during the pandemic. Um, I think it was on hiatus from you know around. March of 2020 to April or May of 2021. Yeah. I, I think we started in late spring of 2021. And we were playing outside, you know, as Omicron and Delta happened. So we were just distancing and masking and all that kind of stuff. So coming up on a year of being back, yeah. playing again. Um, yeah. And a shout out, uh, folks aren't from Portland. Jim Kennett runs the Portland Northwest Hostel and he's a great host. And that's where we have our jam. Uh, he's totally a supporter of the music scene. Uh, folks don't know, he also has a property on Mount Hood called Zigzag Mountain Farm and and hosts uh, a little old-time gathering there on Labor Day weekend uh, called the Zigzag Old-Time Mountain Campout, I think, uh, which is a great time. Uh, so, you know, kudos, Jim, for being such a great host for us over these years. Yeah, i got to make it out to that sometime. Yeah. Oh, it's a really it's sweet. Really lovely. It's a really sweet uh, space and a really sweet uh, festival because it's pretty small. You know? Yeah, Jane's been out. Jane and, and Jane and um, uh, Nathan. Oh yeah, Bont uh, Nathan Montrager. Uh, I, I remember hearing that Hen's Teeth made an appearance one year. Yeah, yeah, and cool. it, well, you know, it's so funny because um, during the pandemic, when all the festivals were off, uh, since it's a private campground, last summer he was able to be open. So a few of us took to going up there and just hanging out and playing tunes, social distancing. So it was almost like having a little mini festival. And we just did one of those uh, the weekend before last. And there was a lot of rain, so there weren't too many people there. But we met one of Nathan's buddies, a guy named Brian. Uh, he's, he's from... I guess originally from California, he had been living in Portland and in Bend, and now he's over in Germany, and now he's a bicycling buddy and old-time music fan. Oh, great. So he showed up, says, hey, I know Nathan. I go, hey, so do I. <laughs> so it's I love really how, weird how small, yeah, how small the old-time world yeah. is. You've listened to this show before. You, you've supported the show a long time. Uh, and so you know that the podcast within the podcast is how to raise musical kids that don't uh, hate you right. uh, or hate music. Right, right. And uh, you've clearly succeeded at that. Um, I I know you have, you have two kids. I have four kids. You have four kids? Oh, my God. You've probably told me that before. I'm, I'm mostly familiar with – I've met Eric 
And I know there's another one out in. Like, yeah, Eric is something. one of my youngest, and, and my youngest are twins. That's how I ended up with four kids. We oh, had yeah. two on our third outing. Um, <laughs> two for the price of one. Yeah, so my oldest is Nate, and uh, and he plays a little banjo and guitar. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, lightly, it's just, you know, kind of hobby in the background kind of thing. And then my middle, uh, child is a daughter named Jessie and she's an artist, visual artist. She loves music, but, um, she doesn't play music. Uh, and then the youngest was Eric and his twin sister, Kate, and they both really got into music. And so you've had Eric on the show. He ended up becoming a great Irish fiddler, Yeah. but he absorbed enough old time along the way that he's a really good old time fiddler, but he mostly does Irish. Yeah. Uh, and then his sister is more into classical music, uh, choir yeah. and piano and that kind of thing. So a lot of uh, kids who have found various ways to express themselves artistically... Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, and I think some of that comes from my, my wife, because my wife's a very good visual artist and, and always tried to, um, you know, get the kids art classes and music classes and stuff. But my theory of child rearing was always throw a bunch of stuff at your kids and see what sticks and yeah. they just run with that. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, that goes for music and art and sports and everything else, right? You know, so my oldest son, who's... You know, he's a good musician when he does it, but he was really into the outdoors, you know, uh, climbing and skiing and, you know, surfing and all that kind of stuff. And still is. He yeah. just got back from a five-day uh, rafting trip on the John Day. Um, yeah, like I said, my middle daughter is more of a visual artist and then the younger one's more into music. And they all have other interests, but those yeah. were the, you know, predominant interests. Did you have obligatory music lessons for all of your kids? Uh, sort of. I mean, we... Gave all of them music lessons. It was only kind of obligatory, I guess. I mean, I, you know, we probably obligated them at first, but it was sort of like, you know, we're willing to bend if they weren't that into it. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, I don't think any of them resisted it. I think it's just one of the things you threw them at. You threw them into, you know, peewee sports. And yeah. if they didn't like peewee sports, you pulled them back out again. I mean, yeah. I remember when uh, one of my friends pulled his kids out of Cub Scouts. My oldest kid we had in Cub Scouts. I go, wow, you can do that? It's like, man, I'm pulling mine out too. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, Cub Scouts <laughs> is fine. But, you know, we were already camping from the time our kids were babies. Right. You know, we literally took Nate backpacking when he was one month old. Yeah. And Cub Scouts weren't doing any camping. They were doing all these crafts and stuff. We go, where's the camping <laughs> <You know? Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like you know four four den meetings a week and one pack meeting a week and one parents it was like eight weeks eight things a month you had to go to as a lifestyle yeah. so we said okay that nice program but you know we want to go camping yeah uh, so uh yeah so i don't know so anyway going back to the music thing you know and eric since he's been on the show he started out in suzuki um and it's a great program but they move pretty slow uh, and he started getting bored and wanted to quit. And we said, well, before you quit, maybe you should just try a different style of music, you know. And so then shopped around. I was listening to all kinds of stuff. And uh, he just kind of decided he wanted to try Irish music. So then we had to shop around for a teacher that he would click with and, you know, tried a few really good musicians that I like. But he finally clicked with Dan Compton. And yeah. then uh, so that that helped keep him going. And then the other thing that helped keep him going at the time was uh, getting a buddy. My wife teamed him up with a buddy. And so Eric would uh, do fiddle and his buddy would do mandolin and they would take a lesson together. Yeah. And okay. uh, and then we were kind of light handed on the practice thing. Like the funny thing about Eric is he got so good, but we used to have to nag him to practice and he would practice maybe 15 minutes a day. Right. You know, like, how the heck did he ever get good? <laughs> <laughs> but he right. never quit, you know. Right, yeah. And then the other funny thing is we were willing to let him experiment. So when he was, um, when the kids were teenagers, partly because of the music I was into, they got into this punk Irish stuff like, uh, yeah, like Pogues. I was yeah. a big Pogues fan. And then they got into Flogging Molly and a bunch of bands like that. And Eric joined a local uh, punk Irish band called Rum Rebellion. Uh, so he just cracked me up. You know, here I am, you know, some dads are driving their kid down to the baseball game. I'm driving my kid to Dante's to, you yeah. know, play a gig <laughs> with yeah. a punk Irish band. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. But it was fine. Yeah. Uh, and then he got this opportunity to go to Limerick and study over there. And, you know, the rest is history. Okay. So for, for Eric, it was helpful to have a buddy to play music. That with. was definitely helpful at a certain point in time. Yeah. yeah. Involvement over specificity. 
just like you, you know. I, I think opportunity, giving kids opportunity to yeah. try things, and because they're all going to come with their own personalities, uh, you know, and see the things that resonate, you know, and then yeah. encouraging and supporting the things that resonate for them. Because yeah. all of our kids went camping, all of our kids tried windsurfing, you know, and they, you know, tried surfing. They yeah. all tried music. They all tried art. You know, yeah. uh, you know, and even in school, you know, I tried to get them all to take calculus, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. You know? <laughs> None of them became software engineers. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, and then just encouraging and supporting the things that they really get into, you know. Cool. This is this is helpful to me. Uh, we're currently in a season, Theo and I, uh, Theo, my seven-year-old, and uh, where he is he's putting up more of a fuss about studying violin. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like if he was, if he was expressing interest in like studying something else instead of violin, it would be one thing, but sometimes he kind of acts like someone who has like a nine to five, (laughs) you know, he's like, ah, I'm so tired after school, (laughs) after work. I just, I just need to come home and crash, you know, (laughs) it's like, okay, interesting. So like, you know, I don't know how much of that to like, the American educational system being broken and I need to just like let him chill or how much of it is just like, no, you need to, you know, I need to make you do something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You might have to experiment with the schedule and routine a little bit, different time of day or, you know, cause yeah. I, I don't like to practice yeah. fiddle in the evening when I'm tired. Right. I like to play fiddle, the stuff I already know to, yeah. you know, uh, you know, just because it's comforting, but to actually practice, I like to do it in the morning when my brain is fresh, right? If yeah. I'm going to woodshed new stuff. So who knows? Maybe you have to play with that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. But like I said, Eric, I, you know, I used to have to nag him to practice. Yeah. If I could get 15 minutes a day out of him, I was doing pretty good. So that's so funny. Um, yeah, because he's, he's, but he never very, quit. He liked music and he stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he stuck with it. Uh, but yeah. uh, he was never, he's still not a heavy practicer. Except yeah. to catch his ear, he'll sit down and really spend some time with it. But he doesn't sit around and practice a lot. <laughs> Cool. This I have to work at it way harder than he does. That's for sure. This is, this is a great perspective. Well, what do you want to play next? And then we can talk about, um, well, you don't necessarily have anything to specifically promote, but you have some things that maybe you want to give shout outs to. Uh, but first, let's play another tune. Sure. Um, how many more do we have left? I'm just wondering if I so should we'll do two, or not. We'll do two in the episode proper. Okay. And then one bonus track. Okay. Um, I was thinking if I try Valse de Powells. Have you ever played that? No. It's a waltz. No. It's a Quebecois waltz. Mm. I think it was written by a guy named Simon Rippel. I'm probably butchering the name, but I learned it from Lisa Ornstein. It's really pretty. Cool. Pretty waltz. Hopefully I can play it. Valse de Powells. So V A L S C D E S P O E L E S. And the story is, uh, it's called Waltz of the Stoves in English. And, you know, I don't know if it's a true story, but they said the the guy who composed it was a hotshot fiddler, always playing really fast reels and stuff, and spent a day helping a friend move a bunch of cast iron stoves out of a barn. And he was so burned out at the end of the day, he sat down and wrote this really sweet, mellow tune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was too burned out to play all his fast stuff. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so I have no idea, Lovely. but that's what I heard. Thank you. 
It's so tricky. Uh, especially that, you know what, it's that part in the A part where it goes. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I've never done But it's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to imagine Walt, like physically waltzing through that. and You just keep waltzing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it gives it a little tension, you know? Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, it took some, a little getting used to for me. Uh, well, we have time for one more tune, but before we go, uh, let's talk about where people can go after they're done listening. Uh, I guess, first of all, it would be the Hostel Jam. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a folky musician, so I'm not promoting anything, but I do host uh, a weekly old-time jam, 7 to 10, on Thursday nights at the Portland Northwest Hostel. So I'll plug the hostel, and that's a very open, welcoming jam. It's an up-speed jam, but we welcome people who play at any level. Uh, it's advertised 7 to 10, but it pretty often goes to 11 or 12. Uh, you know, Alan Guerin, who's a great old-time fiddler here in town, often shows up fashionably late and then stays till midnight. You yeah. know, and a couple other players who have other commitments often wander in around 9 or 10. So if we have a quorum, we keep on going until about midnight or so. Okay. Uh, and then I mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Jim's got the Zigzag Mountain Farm, and so the Labor Day Zigzag Old-Time Music Camp Out is a great event people should check out. And then you and I were chatting before the show. I just wanted to plug Rebecca Solnit has a new project going um, called It's Not Too Late, uh, which is all about uh, uh, hope and getting engaged in the whole climate movement. Uh, and so if you go look for it's not too late climate.com, yeah. I think. And it's also on Facebook, I think, under It's Not Too Late Climate. Uh, that's a that's a good program I want to support. So yeah, it out there. Yeah, uh, an ar- an arresting name for for an organization. Yeah, well, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading about. Um, the psychological aspects of the climate change thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you dig into climate change and pretty soon you run into grief, anger, despair. Yeah. <laughs> All these emotions, yeah. right? Uh, and so what are the... Well, most people are stuck in denial. In denial, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, and so uh, for a lot of people in the movement, which I'm not one, but I'm, I'm trying to get more engaged in, uh, they're trying to counteract people's sense of hopelessness now yeah. and say, look, guys, you know, hope is important and hope isn't just an emotion. It's a, it's an activity. Uh, mm. And so, and it's not a binary thing. It's not an all or nothing. There's degrees and every degree matters. And, and so uh, trying to get people to think in terms of right. optimistic scenarios. and Right. It might be too late for, you know, this, this, and this. But it's not too late for all of these other things. Absolutely, you know? right? And, Every degree matters. Yeah. And, you know, you have kids. I've got grandkids. Yeah. All my young old-time friends are having kids for the kids. You know, we need to make sure that every degree counts, right? And yeah. uh, and part of that is people, you know, having the hope and the optimism to roll up their sleeves and do the work, right? So anyway, uh, this this looks to be a good good thing. So I've, I've been out to the website. It looks pretty good. It's got some good resources out there. So it's worth checking out. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'll I'll look into that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Please, and and I'll, and I'll include the link in the okay. in, in the show notes. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to mention, you know, since I was I did a little prepping this morning, just uh, um, you know, one of the influences I had uh, when I was getting into this music as a listener, not as a player. Uh, I lived in Sacramento, and there was a duo. Jimmy Borsdorf and Nancy Bray call themselves Hawks and Eagles that used mm. to play all the time. Uh, and they passed on, you know, before they got a lot of their stuff in the digital world. But uh, Nancy's uh, stepbrother, I think it is, has put some of their old cassettes online. And so if people want to hear some early 80s, really good cowboy gypsy, old time type music music. Uh, Bobby Bray, I think, is the guy on YouTube. You can find a whole bunch of cassettes that have been put up on YouTube by him. The band is called Hawks and Eagles. and uh, Some of the real old-timers, like Susie Thompson, will remember them. They used to live in Angels Camp and used to play at the Fox and Goose in Sacramento all the time. So they really inspired me before I was ever a player. Um, So in case people didn't know those cassettes are available again, I thought I'd mention that. That's great, yeah. Maybe I'll I'll dig those up. They're really fun <laughs> on YouTube. Thanks so much, Scott. Sure. I'm I'm so glad that I 
publicly called you out on the show about, <laughs> about uh, deservedly so. Yeah, avoiding my uh, my advances yeah. to have you uh, be a guest. So this is lovely, and and now I know you play these tunes, and I'm going to have you play them next time I see you yeah, yeah. off record. So this is great. What do you want to do for our last tune? Uh, I thought I'd switch to calico tuning. I've been playing calico tunes with Steph Knoll. Yeah. And when I see her, because uh, she took a little calico online class during the pandemic from Sally Jablonski. So when we see each other at festivals now, we always have a calico session. So I was yeah. going to try it out. Uh, maybe uh, there's a version of Cripple Creek from the Marion Thede book that I picked up from the Canope Brothers. I thought cool. I'd play that. Interesting. Is it notated in... Is it, does it specifically say it's Calico in the in the Marion Thede? I don't know. I never looked it up in the book. Um, but that's they how the recorded it on their Dogs in the Dishes album, which I don't know if that's still available or not. But I discovered this morning poking around that um, there's a recording of them playing it on Slippery Hill. So if anybody listens okay. to this cool. and likes it, you can go to Slippery Hill and, and find a recording of those. I don't think it's the same one from the album. I think it's from an earlier yeah. session in California or something. But um, yeah. Right up. Yeah, cool. Maybe I'll play this for this one. Let me get to Calico here. You can find links to everything Scott just mentioned in the last segment of our interview. The Hostel Jam, the Zigzag Campout, the Hawks and Eagles recordings, and that Climate Change Org Not Too Late in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. 
You can order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up in the Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional Clawhammer banjo series or to schedule a lesson with me. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set, available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool.